love him together. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. I'm reading to you from the book of 1 Kings chapter 13. One of the dreads of being the last preacher in a conference is you live in mortal fear that somebody else is going to use the text that's been laid upon your heart. And so convinced was I that this was what God wanted. I didn't bring any backup notes and no way in the world of switching in case somebody did. So here we are. Amen. First Kings, the 13th chapter, just before I read the work that God is doing in our midst is an amazing work in the way that God is helping us. I will never forget how impressed that I was as a much younger preacher. And one day I received a telephone call from Brother Darnell Fletcher in Fontana, California, a member of a different organization than I was a part of. And Brother Fletcher called me one day and he said, Brother White, he said, uh, I'm calling to invite you to come preach our district conference. And I, I knew that kind of stuff's not supposed to happen. You know what I'm talking about? Because sometimes the brethren that be from your particular Jerusalem might not exactly approve of, amen, the men, Paul, that you're hanging around with. And I knew that wasn't supposed to happen, but it happened. And I said, Brother Fletcher, I'll, I'll be honored to do that. He didn't have an application ready to hand me and said, we tricked you. <laughs> this is why. He stood flat-footed and introduced me to preach as a preacher of the gospel, irregardless of what affiliation with what particular organization or what it was. And I stood there and I thought that day, that's a spiritual Ronald Reagan that will stand at the Berlin Walls of Apostolic Fellowships and say, tear that wall down. And I'm grateful to God that there's other statesmen, other statesmen, amen, that are brave enough to do that, that are willing, amen, to say we need good, godly brethren. We need one another. We need the strength that each other can give. Oh, hallelujah. Anybody believe that besides me? Oh, hallelujah. Amen. We need one another, and I appreciate that. First Kings chapter number 13 is my text, and I read to you beginning at verse number 21. It said... Amen. First Kings chapter 
13, I'm sorry, I'll begin uh, there reading for you verse number 21. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, hast not kept the commandments which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place, the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. And it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass, the wit, for the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him by the way, slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by it, the lion also stood by the carcass, and the men, and behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. They came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him in unto the lion which hath torn him, slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake to his sons, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him, and he went, found his carcass, cast in the way, the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. The prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass, brought it back, and the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave. They mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. And I want to preach to you on this subject today, living in lion country. Living in lion country. Hallelujah. Will you turn to your neighbor, tell him we're living in lion country. We're living, my brother, my sister, we're living in lion country. Would you lift your voice one more time and ask God to favor us? Oh, God, the capstone of your presence. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Lord. I believe you, mighty God. I believe you, holy God. Oh, blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord our God. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you and you may be seated. Amen. 
The lines that we read about in the Bible in the land of Palestine were probably mountain lions. I know that's not the picture that we see on the little Sunday school quarterly when it talks about Samson slaying the lion. But if you would study the terrain and you would study all of the uh, history of the animals that were there, they were probably not African lions at all, but they were probably the kind that you and I living here in the United States of America are the most familiar with. They were probably what sometimes is called a cougar. Oftentimes we call it a mountain lion. We see them. We know a little bit about their their uh, ways. If you hunt or if you live in territory that uh, is not overly populated and suburbanized, you understand what it's all about. Matter of fact, the country where I live, they, they were having a little deal here just a couple of weeks ago about a tiger that weighed some four to six hundred pounds. Maybe, maybe you heard about it that uh, someone had as a pet. And uh, some way this pet managed to get out. They had the tiger that was declawed, and and the uh, owner of it was sneaking around with the tranquilizer gun, trying to find a chance to tranquilize the tiger to get him, you know, back in. It didn't take too many days for that tiger started getting awful, awful hungry. And when they started finding out about this tiger sightings of this huge cat that was being seen in areas of Moore Park, a family of our church actually lives in that exact community that was there. The officials were called in and they, they gathered around and put a perimeter around this cat. Although he was declawed, he, uh, he could have had a meal any time he wanted one. And they were noticing the strange way that the big cat was staring down the dogs. And the biggest of the dogs uh, were not staring him back whatsoever. And they began to notice and figured that he was hungry. And sure enough, after they shot and killed him, they found no trace of food inside of his stomach. And they uh, verified the fact that within just a few hours, uh, somebody was going to have a free lunch. Amen. He was going to get him some grub, no matter where he had to get it or what he had to do. But the lions that uh, are indicative here of the land of Palestine are, are the ones that we are the most familiar with. I recently... In the past couple of years, I, I purchased a lot to try to uh, find a little place off up in the mountains. And in that community, they were having problems with mountain lions coming around a little too regular. And so they called and they asked for one of the uh, wildlife agency officials to come and give them a talk just so happens to be a good one God apostolic pastor that supplements his income in hunting down wild animals like that. Some of you may know Brother Leo Fisher. So he was called to the community there to give them a speech. 
Well, you know how mountain people are. They can be a little funny, a little eccentric, and, and some of them were really worried about little foo-foo. And they were just extremely worried about their pets and, and all of that. And so he was trying to explain to them that if you're out on one of the hiking trails and you are confronted by one of these mountain lions, I promise you, you had better sacrifice foo-foo. You, you, you just better be ready. He went so far as to say, if you're out on the trail with a pony and you see a hungry big and coming around, uh, you better just figure that that pony is a good exchange for your hide. Of course, they didn't like it. You know they didn't. And for all of you animal rights people here, I'm sorry to be offensive to you tonight on the last night. But he described that though this is a small mountain community that is here and named off the various mountains that were all around it, he said there are four big toms. And he said uh, each one of them have their own space marked off and territory that has belonged to them and has been passed down unto them. And that that's where they live. They lived here before we got here and we better be respectful unto them. He said we just better hope that there is plenty of available food to take care of their appetite. And he described the fact that those large tomcats that are there, they, they need one deer per week per lion. Now, don't break out the hankies worrying about Bambi right now. Amen. Please understand. Uh, amen. Just the law of the jungle and how everything is uh, that's out there, the way God created all of this stuff. And, and he said, you, you mark it down. If there's a good population of the deer, then there's really nothing to worry about, about your pets and all of that, because they, they enjoy taking them down a little bit more. But if there's ever a time that there's a shortage of food for them, you know and understand that everything, including the human beings that, that live here, are at risk when you live in lion country. Amen. Everything uh, that is warm flesh and blood uh, has an element of risk that is connected with it uh, and what they uh, need to eat that's there. He described how they are extremely territorial and how they will defend unto the death before they will leave their territory that is there. It's all built into the nature of the lion that is there. I talked to him on another occasion because he had uh, come down in the heavily populated Los Angeles area and had been called down to uh, a freeway where there had been a large mountain lion that was on the 101. It's called the Hollywood Freeway. It's less than five miles from downtown Los Angeles. And, and a big cat, as the homes and the developments began to come, this cat wouldn't leave. He was determined, this is my place. I've homesteaded this. And, and the people would scare him off and try. And this cat was actually in a culvert there on the freeway. On the freeway. You knew you didn't want to drive in L.A. freeways, didn't you? Amen. You talk about road rage, brother. We got it. Every kind imaginable. 
Amen. And he had to come and with a silencer on his gun, he had to take down the big cat because they are so territorial. There's another thing about mountain lions that is indicative of this story that we read to you in the Bible. And that is that mountain lions keep coming back to their victim. Mountain lions, for some strange reason, they got the teeth and they got the equipment, amen, to make baby back ribs out of anything they take down. But I guess they're lazy like everything else. And uh, the meat's a little bit too tough for them if they don't have to eat the meat. They're satisfied just to eat on the soft internal organs whatever the kill that they made that day. And what they do is they'll slice it open and pull it out, eat the heart or eat the liver or eat something. Now, don't gross out. You'll be all right. Amen. We'll get smelling salts here for some of you in just a few minutes. Amen. And, uh, but they keep coming back to their victim, checking on him, seeing and making sure that Nobody else is bothering what they have already killed, what they've already ended the life of, and what they have already taken care of. As a matter of fact, here where I live, a cyclist was recently mauled by a particular mountain lion that was there. You thought you had all the nature stories living in the country. Some of us folks in the city learn a little bit about it in the concrete jungle of, of Los Angeles. And how he took down this cyclist and he mauled him. And how that the authorities came out and several days later looking for that mountain lion. And guess where they found him? Standing guard a little distance away from the corpse and the remain of the cyclist that he had attacked a few days later. Matter of fact, that's how they know where to go to hunt them, because they will keep coming back to their victim and checking on that victim to make sure that it's all done. It's all done well. The job has been complete. Uh, amen. No chance of it getting back up and walking away. I read in the Reader's Digest, maybe you did, some times ago, an article, and the title of the article was Stalked. And it told the story, if you read it, it was an interesting little story about a boy that decided to ditch school one day, living in a rural community up in Colorado. And he, you know, boys ditching school, he wanted to have some fun, and I guess he couldn't get anybody else to ditch school with him. And so he would come riding by on his bicycle beside the classroom windows. In such a way that the teacher couldn't see him. And he'd do all kinds of clown faces and acting up and, and acting all funny on his bicycle and waving at everybody that was there just laughing, having a blast. And he'd drive on out, take a loop out there up in the mountains a little way and then come back and do it all over again. After several trips, he didn't show up again. And when he wasn't found, they sent out the search parties, and even kids from the school were searching everywhere till finally 
Finally, the very spot that he was at, dead now, of course, by a lion that he didn't see, didn't recognize, didn't know was coming his way. But that lion was a few yards away, standing there in a crouched position, daring anybody to take his prize. Daring anybody to do anything. The kids had to scramble up a water tower and... Well, if you read the story, you know they were finally able to get the body and the remains that were there. The campfires of the righteous were evermore exploding and brimming with pride. Swelled up inside of all of them as the news began to spread. God had sent a young anointed prophet to challenge Jeroboam's altars and his golden calves that he had built in defiance of everything that God had instructed the one God people that they were supposed to do. And everybody was hoping and praying that God would raise up somebody who would have the holy boldness that it would take uh, to walk right in front of that wicked king. Uh, amen. Stare him in the eyeball uh, and tell him you're not taking us into idolatry without a fight. Oh, hallelujah. And God stirred up the heart uh, of this young prophet that day. And, oh, they were excited. Amen. Everything was happening. Uh, God confirmed his word. Uh, and the altar was split that day. Uh, the ashes were poured out. Uh, everybody uh, was so excited to hear that judgment had finally come uh, to this awful deed against uh, the people of God and the truth that they loved uh, for many, many generations. Uh, and when the king tried to restrain him, brother, they were telling it in testimony service that uh, you ought to seen his arm get paralyzed. Ooh, you ought to seen God back him up that day. He stood there uh, unashamed, hallelujah, to do the Lord's work. Oh, man. You know, when God blesses and anoints uh, a young man in the ministry, everybody enjoys the celebration. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, everybody does. Uh, I was looking in this congregation earlier during the week, and I, I, I met a brother, amen, invited him to come and preach, Brother Claiborne. And I, I was remembering, it was in my heart, uh, I was remembering Brother Claiborne, uh, amen, how, how great it was to preach a revival for you many, many years ago in the earliest part of my ministry. I, I know I couldn't have been much of a blessing, but he was acting like uh, I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, he was encouraging me and strengthening me uh, and helping me. Uh, and when God would move, brother, he was just backing me up. And oh, him and his good wife, oh, it just felt like, thank God, uh, thank God, thank God. Uh, here's a young preacher that's trying his best uh, to be used of God and God's blessing uh, and God's Pouring out his spirit. Hallelujah. Everybody wants in on the celebration. That's the problem. It wasn't just the godly remnant that wanted in on it. 
It was the lying prophets that wanted in on it. They just had an instant interest in this young anointed prophet. <laughs> they wanted to have their day in the sun right beside him. They wanted to enjoy the youth and vitality and vim and vigor of that young man and God's fresh uh, anointing that was on him. Uh, and when the sons, uh, amen, of this prophet, this lion prophet, uh, came running back to Shechem uh, and said, Oh, Daddy, we was in a revival service uh, like you hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, it was one of them red-eyed radicals that was up there. Uh, he was busting everything that moved and wiggled. Uh, amen. He had God's anointing dripping all over him. Uh, and before it was done, uh, nobody could resist what God uh, had done there that day. Uh, oh, Daddy, you got to meet this guy. you got to talk with this guy. Uh, hey, 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 where is he? I want to see him. Well, well, the last we saw... The last we saw, he headed off down the trail, uh, off this direction. Uh, he said, boys, uh, would you saddle up my donkeys? Uh, get everything ready. Uh, I've got to go have a talk with him. Uh, amen. I've got to go help influence his young ministry. Uh, I've got to go, uh, amen, and make sure uh, that I have a piece of the pie here and enjoy all of that. Tell me, which way did he go? Yeah, I think you're getting my drift. Oh, hallelujah. I don't want to, I don't want to have to qualify everything I say here. Amen tonight. But I, I thank God for good, godly men that provide a safe place for our young men to get some help. Oh, hallelujah. I thank God for it. Hallelujah. Brother Howard has a meeting that's called Admit. And if you don't know it, this man has carried a burden for many, many, many years. As to how to be a blessing to young apostolic preachers in training uh, and get them trained the right way. And when they go, uh, if you send any of your young men there, when they go, I know I've heard the tapes. Uh, amen. You know what they're going to be told? Uh, they're going to be taught by men like Brother Moody uh, that you better submit yourself to your pastor. You better humble your heart. Uh, amen. You better make sure that you're linked up uh, with the man of God in your life uh, and not let anybody else influence you, uh, not let anybody sway you and take you uh, off of the path that God uh, has sent you on uh, in your life and in your ministry. Uh, hallelujah. But I have to tell you, there's other meetings and there's other places across the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where the thrust of it is quite different. Yeah, yeah, your young preachers need to hear this. Amen. Yeah, you better believe they need to hear it. 
and others that will brag on you and stroke your ego. And try to convince you uh, that there's never been a greater preacher since the Apostle Peter. And how utterly fabulous you are. Amen. And what a great man of God. Uh, and how excited they are to rub shoulders with you. Uh, amen. And try to puff you up. Uh, try to do everything. Uh, amen. Oh, you, you say it doesn't happen. Yes, yes, my friend. There are young, talented, anointed preachers uh, of the gospel uh, that are not here at this conference. Uh, amen. Because they changed everything. Elders, uh, somewhere along the road to Shechem, uh, there was a lion prophet uh, that met them by the way uh, and striving uh, to fulfill his own agenda. A man decided uh, that he was going to butter up uh, with a little fellowship uh, with a freshly anointed man of God uh, and strip him uh, of the anointed power that God had placed upon him. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I remember a man, and I'm not just preaching to those that are in their 20s. I have seen more people go bonkers uh, between their 30th birthday and their 40th birthday than I've ever seen in their 20s. Uh Uh-huh. I've seen more preachers uh, that all of a sudden they get a little seasoning under them. uh, And suddenly uh, the voice of their pastor is not the weighty voice that it once was. Uh, Amen. And those that are talented uh, and can provide them uh, with the outlets and the platforms uh, that their ego has been seeking uh, is the voice uh, that they're suddenly enamored by uh, and willing to risk it all uh, to believe in somebody that's a liar. Well, you're going to help me preach tonight? I remember a young man, talented, incredible, not a rookie at all, met me at a conference few years ago, and he said, Brother White, call my room, said, i got to talk to you. i got to talk to you. I really do. Could we meet at breakfast tomorrow? I said, sure. Been in the ministry for several years, and amen. I'm just a few years older than him. He said, I, 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 I really don't know what to do. He said, I, uh, well, he said, uh, you know, he said, I got, and he named the name of, you know, someone with clout and influence and charisma and he said, and they're telling me I need to do it, and, you know, I'm wanting to do it, and he named two or three more names, and they're feeling good about it. And I said, wait, 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 wait right here. I said, who have been your elders all of your life? I said, don't you listen to one word. That them other fellas are telling you. If it cannot be confirmed with the man of God in your life. Oh, hallelujah. 
I said, what are they telling you? He said, oh, they're telling me don't do it. Uh, I said, case closed, Bubba. Amen. There's nothing more to talk about. Uh, that's the only safety uh, that you'll have in your life. Uh, oh, my friend, uh, what wasted potential uh, of a powerful anointing. Uh, all because of a charismatic tongue uh, and a clever little lie uh, about an angel uh, that supposedly uh, had appeared unto him uh, and was changing the direction uh, entirely for that young preacher that God had spoken to him about. Oh, hallelujah. You better believe I'm mad at the devil. Every young preacher that is here, I'm telling you, you're living in lion country. You're living in lion country. I'm going to tell you those that come and don't want you to listen to the voice of your spiritual father. They are exploiting your ministry for their agenda. Some of you will live long enough to remember what I just said. They are exploiting your ministry for their agenda. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Uh, if God spoke to you, brother, uh, don't you turn to the left, uh, nor turn to the right, uh, nor take anybody else's advice uh, upon the subject uh, until you've done it exactly the way God told you to do it. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God's safety net for every young preacher that's in this building is if God has a change of direction for my ministry, he'll confirm it through my elder first. <laughs> oh, God. If only that young prophet, God so mightily anointed, would have known that that's how God works. And that's the safety net. No matter how persuasive and glib that tongue is that talks to you about, I also am a prophet. <laughs> Let me tell you all the ways God uses me in the supernatural. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got a word from the Lord for you. Uh, and I've watched young preachers uh, amen, after 10,000 words from the Lord, from their pastor, that they shuck it off uh, like it's just some other raindrop. Uh, and all of a sudden, a Johnny-come-lately come by that says he's got a word from the Lord uh, for them. They shudder and shake. Uh, amen. Stay up half the night with goosebumps. Thinking, woo, 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 woo. Direct juice, brother. From hell. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you wish I was on crutches, don't you? 
Amen. Hallelujah. We're living in lion country, brother. It's lion country. Uh, it's a dangerous place. Uh, and they're looking for another victim. Uh, amen. They got an appetite that won't quit. Uh, amen. And as soon as they get one down, uh, they're headed for the next. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I saw a photo once. In the magazine of a dad that he had taken of two small boys, a roadside stop that they had made up in a mountain range that was there. He had set his, it was a remote place, and he had set his two children up there, and he got out the tripod, and he got the camera just right, and he took a neat little picture there of them, of the lush foliage and all of that. It was not until he got home and developed those pictures that the horror of all horrors, and they published it in the magazine, that barely hidden inside of those behind the brush there was a crouching, hungry lion that was hoping, hoping that there had come a chance of some distance between daddy and the kids. That roaring lion, the adversary of your soul, is hoping every day for there to ever become some distance uh, between you uh, and your spiritual father. He's hoping uh, because you have no defense, uh, you have no protection, uh, you have nothing left uh, to scare him away. Uh, amen. Oh, God, help us uh, to wake up uh, and realize, uh, amen, we're God's ministry uh, in this last hour. Uh, that anointing is being poured upon us. Uh, that none of us deserve uh, or are worthy of. Uh, but God's got a great work uh, that He's wanting to do uh, to show His power uh, to stop the mouths of the gainsayers. Uh, and the adversary knows uh, He's got to try to trick you and trap you one way or another. He's got to bring you down uh, because you're too dangerous for His kingdom. You see, the, one of the greatest dangers of a mountain lion, and all lions, I haven't studied out the rest, one of the greatest dangers of a mountain lion is the striking range that a mountain lion has. A mountain lion from a dead standstill doesn't have to get a running start. Amen can leap 18 feet and grab its victim in a split second. Striking range. Now, if on cue tonight, I had the staff of the hotel roll a cage with a 150-pound mountain lion in those side doors over there. And I had a remote control to the lock on the cage. And I said, folks, nothing to worry about. Nothing at all. 
you're a safe distance away from the lion. I'm going to open the cage. He's a little hungry, but you're a safe distance away from the cage. And I were to click the latch. Some of you wouldn't even hear the click. <laughs> yeah. And say, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Though not one person was within the 18-foot striking range, I would be preaching to the chandeliers. <laughs> yeah. You, they had never seen a fire drill like they would have. Amen. Inside of this building. I'm talking about the looky-loos. Unless you're packing some heat somewhere that we can't see. Amen. I'm talking about every looky-loo in the building, brother. I promise you the foyer would be the closest spot I could find any one of you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because one, two, three, four, five, six or seven split second jumps and he could cover the territory of absolutely anybody that is inside of this house uh, and maul you and kill you uh, in a moment of time that was there. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All of my assurances uh, that folks, folks, really, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, amen. I'll keep an eye on it. Uh, amen. Nothing to worry about. Uh, I'm going to be watching real careful uh, so none of this stuff gets out of hand. Uh, you can trust me. Uh, everything's going I couldn't talk you into it uh, for the world. You got too much good sense for that. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. How come a lion prophet can talk you uh, into getting within striking range, uh, amen, in lion country uh, of an adversary uh, that's hot on your heels uh, at any moment uh, to get you? Oh, hallelujah. When I hear people, I mean, it makes my skin crawl. Uh, when I hear people, uh, they're honest and sincere and say, Pastor, is it really a heaven or hell uh, issue? Uh, I want to say, you dingbat, uh, can't you see? Uh, we're in lion country. Uh, we're in lion country. Uh, amen. And we're not just worried uh, about a little thing uh, of whether he's right there at you. We're keeping the same distance, uh, amen, from anything uh, that will get you within striking range uh, of the adversary uh, that is after you uh, and after me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be seated. Did I tell you, sweet pastor's wife, that if you're living without a daily prayer life, you are within striking range in lion country. Preacher's kid, 
The CDs are a mix of religious and worldly music. You're within striking range. He ain't in a cage, brother. Amen. He's close enough to gobble you up any time he decides to get you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If them romance novels with the bedroom scenes are a part of your reading material, I'm telling you, you're within striking range of an adulterous affair. Amen. That'll rip your family apart and destroy with pain and agony. You're within striking range. Uh-huh. If you sit down to watch the news, Or sports on TV or internet, you are in striking range, my brother. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Oh, hallelujah. Janet Jackson may have another wardrobe malfunction. While you're watching the Super Bowl. And you ain't going to break out in the hallelujah chorus. Uh, oh, Jesus, 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 help her to get some clothes on. Your stinking flesh is just as weak as mine. Hallelujah. We're living in lion country. Uh, amen. Uh, and we ain't letting him get anywhere close to us. Uh, for we know uh, that he's out to devour uh, and destroy the anointed of God. That God has reserved his power and his glory for. Oh, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. I said some time ago, and I'm not here to bag on preachers. I sat in a restaurant with three preachers. All three of them, I've heard them knock the snot out of television. And I watched as some newsworthy event that they deemed worthy of crossing the line. You're in striking range. You don't know it yet. Neither did that young prophet. Yeah. It was 41 years ago when I was in school and President John F. Kennedy got assassinated. And school teachers sent home notes asking parents' permission for us to Watch the state funeral on television. Now remember, my dear old daddy, I was pleading with him, Dad, 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 there's never been a bigger event like this ever, Dad. Wouldn't it be okay? Wouldn't it be fine, Dad? All the rest of the kids are going to get to see it. Dad, there's nothing dirty about it. Dad, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's 
That old godly dad of mine said, son, the problem is, is it never stops there. Not signing it, son. Not signing it. And I've watched through the years those that had to see the man on the moon. That had to watch the shuttle disaster. That had to see. The pictures weren't good enough in the newspaper. They had to see the planes flying into the Twin Towers. <laughs> Just had to, had to, had to, had to. Had to see the latest tsunami. And they'll have to see again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Amen. A burdened heart from a brother of yours, a fellow traveler, is telling you you're living in lion country. You better stay as far away from every type of Hollywood uh, as you can possibly get. You better make it up in your mind. Uh, there's none of that junk uh, that you're going to let ever contaminate uh, your home, uh, your family. Uh, hey, we don't do it in motels. Uh, we don't do it anywhere we go. Uh, amen. We're God's anointed. Oh, hallelujah. 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 There's two more areas that I'm going to touch on in the time. The hour's still early. This guy was a young prophet. Gideon was a, an older man in the waning years of his life. And it doesn't matter when you're young or when you get old. You're still going to live in lion country all the way to the end of this journey. It's part of the territory that we live with. And there's a long caravan of donkeys that are headed to a graveyard in Shechem. They keep carrying the wasted remains of the most heavily anointed men that God has ever placed upon the earth. Because some way, somehow, they don't think it's all that important to do exactly what God told them to do and refrain from everything that God told them to refrain from. Number one, <clears throat> the life of Gideon, when the status symbols of ministry become important to you, sir, you are within striking range of the lion. It was retirement party. It was all of Israel being grateful for all of those years of mighty ministry, trumpets and pitchers, slaughter in the mid nights, marvelous victories. They said, Gideon, will you be king over us? He said, no, no, I can't do that. That's not part of God's plan. Well, will you let your son be king over us? No, 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 no. But, well, 
if you want to honor me, <laughs> if you want to show your appreciation for my years of labor and ministry, he said, uh, would, would each one of you mind just giving one earring off of the Ishmaelites that you've conquered? You're allowed the spoils of the battles and all of that's yours, but just a small little contribution here might add up to be a whole lot and really did when you studied out in the scriptures. It ended up being 43 pounds of gold. I don't check the business section of the paper, but I think that the price gold goes at per ounce. That was a... <laughs> That's what they call a golden parachute for retirement. He said, would you mind just dumping them all in here and letting all of this? I got something in mind I'd, I'd like to do. He said, I'd, as remembrance of symbol of ministry, I'd, I'd like to make a golden ephod. Nobody's ever had one of those before, and <clears throat> I, I, well, I just kind of like to have that as a way of remembering, remembering the years and the blessing and the good things that were there. I'd like to make a golden ephod. The status symbols of ministry can be what you think a new car and a fine home. In a big church. If you're not careful as you go through the ministry, you can get all messed up in your thinking of what the status symbols of ministry are all about. Yes, you can. It crept up on old, old Gideon. For some, the status symbols of ministry are Religious politics and sitting in the gates with the elders. That's true. I'm not lying to you. That's the status symbols of ministry. Some men covet. And some men will make compromises in order to get it. Some men, no, I'm not. I'm not here. Blasting at anybody, there are many at this conference that serve in various capacities in different organizations that you are a part of. If that's what God has called you to do, keep your head screwed on straight. That's an awful slippery slope. And I've seen all too many that I've met at the bottom of that hill. That what God has called you to do, don't look at it as the status symbol for ministry. Because you'll get messed up if it is. <clears throat> Lot got his concepts all mixed up. Lot sat at the gates of Sodom. And watched Sodom get worse and worse and worse. And worse and worse. But he had the concept that said, 
It'd get worked a whole lot faster if I wasn't involved in it. He had the concept that said, I can have influence this way if I sit in the gate with the elders that are there. If God's asked you to do that, my dear friend, you'll never hear a word of criticism from me. But make double sure that it's God. Make double sure that it's God and it's nothing else. Because if you study your Bible out, friend, it wasn't the Sodomites that became a problem in future generations for the one God apostolic people. God quickly rained down judgment of fire upon them sodomites. Have you noticed nobody here has to rant and rave? You haven't heard a word about who and where they're hopping in bed with the trinities. What the latest thing they're doing in this city and that city. We don't even have to preach about that stuff. Because God keeps record of it. And any time a one God apostolic gets to lusting after the strange flesh of wanting to be hopping in bed with the trinities, you mark it down, friend. God is going to rain fire down out of heaven. That's perversion, my friend, uh, when somebody's lusting uh, after that kind of strange flesh, uh, when we've got something as glorious uh, as what we have uh, of this beautiful truth. Uh, amen. Uh, but it was not the Sodomites uh, that were the plague to Israel, but it was the grandkids. Of the man that sat in the gate and let it vex his spirit. It was the grandkids of the man that said it'd be too painful to uproot my family and move out of here. I'll just be a light and shine and be an example for them. It was the grandkids. No, no, Lot, you'd never do it. You'll lay in the grave. You'll never do it. You better make sure. Hear me. I'm not a smart aleck. When the status symbols of ministry become important to you, you're within striking range of a lion that's awful, awful hungry. Hallelujah. Final thing that I want to tell you is you're within striking range when a linen ephod is no longer your garment of ministry. Oh, God. Nowhere in that Bible, from the priesthood of Moses till the closing chapters of the book of Revelation are God's priests 
and God's ministers to ever adorn themselves with anything but pure white linen. Nowhere, nowhere are they supposed to have a garment of ministry that represents anything but total purity within and total purity without. You're within striking range, my good brother. I've wept and cried for you. I love you. I want to try to help you. But you're within striking range. Striking range when the linen ephod is no longer attractive to you. When the highest honor that could be bestowed upon you is, God, if I can just keep my garments clean, if I can just keep my spirit clean, if I can just keep my heart clean, God, that's all that matters. That's all that matters to me. Someone comes to the music. The second great event that has happened for me at Apostolic Ministers Conference was right over there in prayer as I sought the face of God in the past year. And I said, God, how can I help? How can I help ministry? What can I do? And God brought to my mind, God brought to my mind a minister that... Five years ago, I had wronged him. I had completely forgot about it. And if you want to count up the tally, I'm sure he had more of his share of wrongs that he could have dealt with. But God didn't talk to me about the wrongs he had done to me. God talked to me about the wrong I had done to him. And God said the way you can help apostolic ministers is by keeping your garment clean. That when you've done somebody wrong, being man enough to call them up and ask them for forgiveness. Tell them you were wrong. I'm looking for halos tonight. And that stuff might come easy for all you good godly men. But I promise you I haven't fought a battle in a long time that was as hard as that battle. I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And thinking, but, 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 but God, really look, look what he did to me. But. But God, can't you balance out the scales? And every time I'd go on a fast, instead of supernatural angels appearing to me, was the voice of God saying, You've soiled your garment, preacher. You've soiled your garment. You did somebody wrong and <clears throat> you haven't tried to make it right. And I, well, I, I battled with it. 
and all those deceived people that have ever told Phil White that they thought he was humble. I found out how incredibly wrong they were. The pride that would well up in my heart every time I'd go for that telephone. Every time I try to pick it up, I'd find something else to do. Finally, one day I sat by the phone and I wept. Right? I said, "Oh God, help me, help me, God! Why is this so hard to do, God? Why is this so hard to do, God? Why? Why? Why, Lord?" And I fought my way through, and I picked it up. I dialed the telephone. It was time for me to repent to a brother. If a linen ephod was the only garment of ministry that mattered to me, that was all. Really mattered to me. It's time to make it right. I read on the plane coming out here to this meeting that Adolf Eichmann, the high-ranking German officer of the Holocaust, you've ever read the story House on Garibaldi Street, you understand. Mossad agent from Israel went and captured him to bring him back to stand trial. He was the one that was responsible for all the logistics of all of the concentration camps, the deaths of all of the Jews, and getting there. Mossad agent later wrote a book. Said the amazing part of Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann is when I had him in the safe house. I started asking him questions, and Eichmann. Looked at me and said, "There's no blood on my hands. There's no blood on my hands. I was just doing my job. I was just doing what I was supposed to do, what I was told to do. That's all there was to it." And the battle had so hardened his spirit and his heart. He said one day, said to show to me that. He didn't have anything against Jews. He said in perfect Hebrew. He quoted Deuteronomy six and four. He said, "See there, I believe in one God." And I tell you, friend, when your linen ephod gets soiled, it don't matter how many one God scriptures you can quote. There's blood. On your hands and my hands, if we've wronged a brother and we haven't made it right, said finally one day, no remorse, no tears, no nothing. He said finally one day, I asked him, why can't you feel remorse? And Eichmann said. Repentance is for little children. 
wonder how many seasoned veteran warriors there are here today that have fought so many battles defending the faith standing up and fighting for holiness like we have to fight till our hearts have got so calloused that we can actually believe repentance is just for little children I guess you're right sir Jesus said except you be converted and become his little children Oh, we'll let you in apostolic ministers conference. You can enter in a lot of places. He said you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's many sepulchers that are full of the remains. The anointed prophets. Who thought? Who thought? That keeping my ephod pure and white wasn't really all that big of a deal I wept on the telephone to that brother you don't know him he's not some big high profile case of Pentecost that anybody would know of the running feud that I had with old stuff but I wept to him said, I'll probably never see you again in life. You're living in another place now. But my brother, I had to call you and tell you that I wronged you. I did you wrong. And I am terribly sorry. I ask you to please forgive me. Forgive me. He wept, cried, End of the conversation. And a thousand pound load lifted off of my chest. I know I'm trying to close, but Luke chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said, If a brother trespasses against you, there's three steps to it. He says, First of all, you got to confront him with it. Please, if I've done any of you wrong, don't expect me to do something if you haven't told me about the wrong I've done. You've got to tell a brother. You can't nurse a wound, a grudge in your heart. You've got to tell somebody, brother, I feel like you've done me wrong. But the next step, we want to skip over it and we want to go to the forgive stage. We all want to have these little love feasts and we forgive, we forgive. And nobody ever acknowledges what was the wrong you did to your brother? And it's so easy for it to crop back up again. He said you rebuke and then you repent. You give a chance for repentance. Scrub that out of your heart. Then you forgive. I know it's sober here tonight. But I feel God's presence here. And I have prayed that at the conclusion of my little message here tonight about Lion Country, that just one brother 
that just one brother would walk over to another brother and say, can we go pray together? I haven't visited the strip club. It's not adultery or fornication that soiled my garments. It's not TV or Hollywood or wearing immodest apparel or any of that. But I have wronged you, brother. I have wronged you. And I'm within striking range of the devil destroying my life if I can't cleanse it from my heart. Shall we stand together? Lead us in song as we come to the altar. Change my heart, oh God.